morning and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have Steve on. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me on. And uh, hello to everybody out there on the worldwide <laughs> intraweb. It's great to be with you. It's good to see you, man. So we're going to have a, a, a fun time. We'll, we'll ask some questions. So actually, listen, we got some Eddie Van Halen gear behind you. You got some endorsements from Van Halen oh, too, right? Always, man. I've been, I've been uh, I think I'm the longest... Uh, longest running endorser of EVH products dating back to 1992 when I first, uh, you know, when Ed took me under the wings when he was with PV and I started with the 5150 amps back then and it's lasted, mm -hmm. you know, uh, almost 30 years later, you know, so, you know, God bless Ed. Thanks for always taking care of me, you know. He, he, was, he took care of a lot of people. He was a good guy, man. He, he, so many good stories are coming out now about him too, you know. Everyone's got some amazing story about oh him. i got a lifetime of them man but oh you know ed the greatest thing i could say about him and and i think you're seeing this more than ever he was without a doubt one of the nicest one of the funniest the guy I loved that was that's how really we bonded was over jokes we would tell each yeah. other you know drinking beer smoking cigarettes telling dirty jokes and just laughing until we fell over until we were crying and uh you know i just i'm so thankful of all the incredible times i had with him and you know yeah. he's a a friend for close to 30 years and you know kind of like a family member and um you know but uh i know he's looking down at heaven you know from heaven right now and he's so proud of wolfgang and that's the most oh, important yeah. thing no matter what ed Ed loved Wolfgang more than anything in the world, and he set Wolfgang up for a for a great life. And Wolf is such a great kid, and um, so I'm just so thankful for that. And uh, and you know, and the music. The bottom line is, Ed is always going to be with us till the yeah. end of time. You know, the the greatest, the king of rock guitar, and uh, you know, but most importantly, just a great, great guy. Yeah, I actually felt bad when he died more for his son. I mean, obviously, I grew up with him. Everybody else loved Van Halen, and, yeah. and he, was like, he was like my first, was like my first band, my you know guitar person. And uh, but yeah, when it happened, parent, I'm like, I just felt bad because it's apparent how great they got along. I was like, oh, that's the worst right there. That's yeah. what bothered me the most. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's just you know it's horrible, but that's the way life goes. Sometimes he goes, you guys are you guys are mourning a loss of a guitar player. He goes, I'm trying to deal with my dad being gone, so. You really say any succinctly better than that, so you know exactly. So you know he he's doing good. I like the new stuff. So let me ask you, uh, where are you playing some of that stuff on your album? Is that any of that gear or guitars showing up on the on the Tokyo album? Well, the last yeah, one? man. I mean, I'm always using. I mean, I have a ton of ton of guitars. I mean, I have my D'Angelico acoustic you see behind me. I got my 5150, you know, EVH guitars. Uh, I got a Solar guitar with an Evertune bridge that I use a lot. How's that? The Evertune is a is a game changer in the studio. I mean, it's a guitar that has perfect intonation, and you never yeah. have to tune it. It's a unique thing, and it's like I, I've been really trying to get all my friends, especially for a studio tool, making records here. Yeah. You know, it's a complete game changer as far as saving time. You don't have to sit there and tune for every note because the intonation is perfect everywhere you play. So it's a it's it's really cool. I'm actually having a custom guitar made right now with another right. Evertune bridge, but. You know, yeah, tons of uh, tons of great guitars. My Fu Tone, new Fu Tone guitar that I got, I've been using a lot. And you know, and I'm always working, always recording. I've been blessed during this pandemic that 
that you know I've had a ton of um, studio work, mixing and mastering. I'm working on a really great band, this band called Sorrow in the Spine, a new thing that I'm trying to I'm shopping a deal for now. And uh, it's just been, you know, as much as I love and miss performing, I've always been a studio guy. You know, when we made the first Trickster record back in 1989, I completely fell in love with the process of making records, being in the studio. I was always a songwriter, but writing the songs, being in the studio, learning about engineering, you know, why do you use this certain compressor or this mic or this, you know, and it's just, you know, I got to the point where... By the time we did the second Trickster record, I took over as co-producer with Jim, with Jimbo Barton, you know, who did really? Queen Strike and Rush, and it just became, it became more important to me than guitar players. You know, I was more interested in Mutt Lang, Bob Rock, Bruce Fairburn, you know, Mike Shipley than than I was about, you know, um, you know Warren D. Martini or or you know Jakey Lee or Ed Van Halen for that matter. I was so into what Ted Templeman and Don Landy did to get those sounds and make those records, you know. And uh, and I was blessed enough with the success of Trickster that I built this studio that I've been in. You know, we've been I've been in this house with my family for 27, 28 years now. And there's my little daughter Jade coming in. What's up, Jade? Say hi to everybody. There, this is my little girl Jade. What's it? Say hi to everybody. We're on. Upstairs, mommy. <laughs> I'm doing an interview now. Say hi to everybody. The World Wide Web, Jade Brown. Yeah. Zoom. There you go. Introduction. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was doing one of them. My dog came in and licked my face. So I'm like, I got to sit up where you can't get it. That's all right. Well, That's how it goes. It's all good. I'm the, I'm the patriarch of the Brown house here. And when my daughter needs me, I have to be here. That's how I That's think the, the most debate. important thing. That's a bad David Coverdale impression of mine, but uh... it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not, so, I'm yeah, yeah, don't do for those. So, how old were you when you started doing a studio? Because, like, that's because you and I are about the same age. I actually, like I told you earlier, I went to college for recording too. So, just like you, literally, Ted Teltman, all the same things. Actually, Ted had a book out. If you, I don't know if you read his book yet. Ted Teltman uh, released a book like that. Oh, I've read it. My my friend Greg oh, Renoff wrote it with him. So. Uh, I've read it. I'm probably on the fourth time around, and it's like right, it never gets old to me, you know. And I it's love cool. the takes. It's so great. I love it. Uh, it's you know, it's really incredible. And the one thing that I don't think Ted gets enough credit for is the fact that if it wasn't for Ted Templeman, I don't think we would have eruption recorded on mm-hmm. on record on vinyl he was the one who heard ed warming up in the studio and said what is that get a mic he told don landley put up two mics you know we got to record that yeah. and uh, i mean thank god and ted is just you know an unbelievable uh, just an incredible producer you know the stuff he did with the doobie brothers with van morrison you know i even loved one of his one of my favorite records that he did was a, a band honeymoon suite that he did in the mid eighties. And I love the song, um, uh, love changes everything. And I, I, um, I'm looking forward. I'm supposed to sing, you know, Greg Renoff, uh, you know, the author of the book is supposed mm-hmm. to set me up to meet, uh, Ted out in LA, uh. but you know, with the pandemic, it's, it's a little bit hard, but, uh, you know, just an unbelievable book. And I'm, we're hoping, I'm really hoping that, uh, Don Landy eventually writes a book because, you know, Don was so ensconced, you know, with Ted right. and with the Van Halens and making those records. And, you know, it was really cool. Some of the great times I had, you know, alone with Ed Van Halen, you know, he, he told me some great inside stories about the makings of the record. Yeah. 
and you know just just blessed to be all around it and it's really cool to see Ted's book and because I remember Ed telling me his version of the events that went down mm-hmm. and then seeing Ted's kind of version you know it was really great but the book oh my god I love it like I said I've read I think I'm going on my fourth time reading it so if that's the, if that's any indication that it's a good book that's yeah it is good 10 I thumbs think- up yeah. The fact he was a the fact he was a musician, I think, is what really played into him being such a good producer. His ear, of course. Um, there's one part, yeah. There's actually part in the book he talked about when he was recording with Eddie and uh, he talked about and he did some production. Him and Don, and he did the building of the studio. He's building the studio, fifty one fifty, and that's when he recorded Dweezil Zappa band. And it's funny because I was talking to Dweezil about it, so he he actually filmed like the back part of the story too, and I was talking about it too. So it's really neat how everything kind of like overlapped. And I just read the book, and Dweezil hadn't read it, so it's kind of like really neat how everything kind of just fit really nicely. Yeah, well, they didn't Dweezil. They didn't record. They didn't record at fifty one fifty. They did Dweezil stuff at Frank Zappa's studio, and that's when Ed went down to Frank Zappa's studio because Frank had just built his studio, and oh, Ed was-, was building fifty one fifty. He wanted to kind of see, and I think they were talking about all the codes and variances, and you know, to get approval. But then, no, Ed went. They they did. I believe it was my mother's a space cadet and crunchy water. Yeah. That they did, and they but they recorded that at uh, at Dwe- at Frank Zappa's studio. Really, I thought it was I thought it was Ed's because they were testing it out. They, they used Ed's studio as a test place. I don't Maybe think. Oh, so. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, yeah it doesn't really matter. I have I, I have somewhere. I still have that forty five of uh, of the Dweezils album. My mother Dweezil in. It was cool. Dweezil had that flying V with all different colored polka dots on. It was like a Randy Rhodes, but white yep. with all fluorescent. It was cool. Really beautiful he's, guitar. He's, he's great. He's a good guitar player, too. Um, so you are like so you're doing production a lot. You're on a high days. Obviously, everyone's from playing. Yes. You're in a couple of different bands, though. Well, I am. What do you call like? So you call it Trickster, but it's not really Trickster. I know sometimes you build you, you and PJ, when you guys get with Eric Martin, yeah, uh, you guys are like a comedy troupe. You guys should really just put the guitars down and do like a comedy tour because it comes on YouTube. I, I can imagine what isn't on YouTube. It's got to be even hellaciously funnier. It's, but you, you three together are so funny. It's incredible. Yeah, Eric's a you know he's like a brother to us. We we met Eric back on the uh, Warren Trickster Firehouse tour in 1991, and we were Pete, our singer especially, we were obsessed with the Mr. Big Lean Into It record. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, all I can say is, you know, we played that record probably for six months straight every day on the tour bus. We knew every vocal line, every guitar lick, every bass lick, every drum. And so we invited Eric out to when we played up in San Jose and we just hit it off immediately. You know, like I've always said, and I say it to him all the time. I said, dude, you've always been like one of us. You know, it's funny Mm -hmm. because he was born in Long Island. So he's got sort of, you know, Though he's lived out in, you know, you know, Northern California most of his life, he's from, you know, New York, Long Island. He was born. So he has that East Coast sort of sense of humor. And humor. We, just, we just get on so good. And what's funny is we have a, a, a text group and we have, you know, with Chris Jericho, who's another brother, and Joey Casada. We all play together. It's called yeah, the Gig so we're threatening to actually start a band with it. So I don't know. Joey Casada is going to be here at the studio on Sunday. We're cutting some drum tracks. So, uh, you know, I'm betting we might be cutting one of the first uh, Gig Pig songs. But, be pretty funny. Uh, 
Yeah, we we have a blast together. But Eric is great. Yeah, we we go out and we do a Mr. Big Trickster kind of best of show. Eric Martin and the Dirty Tricksters or whatever. Uh, you know, whatever. However, Eric wants to do it. You know, hey man, this is Eric Martin from Mr. Big, and I got my knucklehead brother Stephen PJ from Trickster behind me, and the Italian stallion on drums, Joey Casada. You know, Eric's Eric's a handful, it's man. A we love him to death, and uh, you know, it's a blast, and uh, you know. All I can say is, yeah, that's my thing over the last couple of years. I, pl- I just, you know, being a one-band guy for so long, you know, and even after Trickster, I would go from project to project, but it was always kind of one band. And then over, I'm going to say over the last 12 years, I've really ventured out to where, you know, of course we know about the Def Leppard situation and doing that. And then with the same thing. With I know Dead what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I've become like the fill-in guy, you know, somebody, you know, it's like I get, I have this, I have a red phone upstairs, and when it, it's like in Batman, when you call Commissioner Gordon, the red phone lights up, uh-oh, a band needs a guitar player that can sing, play cool, look cool, and learn 16 songs in two days, and be on a plane to, you know... 20 miles east of Bing Bang, you know, within minutes. And, you know, that's one thing. But under my pool table that's back there, I always have a suitcase packed. I always have, I have outside in my garage, I always have my gig bag ready. And, you know, I'm always ready to go. So it's just one of those things over the last, let's say, 10 years, that's kind of become my calling card, you know, playing with everybody. JoLynn Turner, Danger Danger, Rock of Ages on Broadway, Dennis DeYoung of Styx. Def Leppard, and then there are, you know, a bunch of other bands that have called me to fill in big bands as well that, you know, there was some problems with the band's sickness or internal issues and, you know, hey man, I'm not sure if we're going to need you, but it, it's it's pretty cool to have that kind of notoriety and be able to be able to do that. And, you know, most of all, it comes down to mo- everybody that calls me. Most of these people are my friends. So they're like family, especially Def Leppard and Dennis DeYoung. They're they, anything to help out my friends. They're like family members. You got, if somebody calls you and your family says, dude, I'm in a bind here. I need you. I'm like, dude, I'm there. I do it for any of my family members or my friends. I do it for any rock band. You know, the only difference is the pay is a lot better with the big rock band. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Well, the difference is like, I think when you first start, it's like when you're doing Trickster and things start changing. I mean, it's got to be almost like having like a job security to know you're not like in this one job, things go bad. You're, everything, all your eggs are in one basket. Like once you, when you first started, you were probably like, I can do all this stuff. I can keep going. One band is not going to stop me. One, one issue is somebody's not going to stop me. I can put it aside and we can re, re, you know, go back to it again. But I'm not stopping. I'm doing music. And that had to be like liberating. And then the more you do, you feed off of it. Well, I think it's, it's when I started, I started playing guitar in 1978 and it was, and I say this all the time, you know, I sold my soul to rock and roll and I'm still yeah. running with the devil, you know, 42 years later now. Um, this is what I do, whether I was successful or not. Music, guitar playing, rock and roll, Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, um, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Kiss, Cheap Trick. These bands are part of my being. This is what I do, whether it's playing stadiums or playing clubs, doing studio work, giving lessons, um, teaching somebody Pro Tools, teaching somebody how to edit drums. I love all of it, all facets. Doing interviews with kooky guys like you, you know, that's a joke. Um, I get that. But it's all, it's all encompassing. And, you know, the cool thing is that what I did learn 
in the mid 90s when you know the whole 80s hard rock the you know the rise and fall of all of our bands you know the yeah. weather the, even the biggest you know the Def Leppards and the Bon Jovi's just like the Tricksters the Firehouse the Warrants Poison Slaughter um, certain people went off and got jobs and became you know normal people of society as I like to say and, and that's a great thing they joined the general population that was never for me and that was never for PJ as well we continued on with music so and the one thing that I learned is is that you can't rely on one thing in the music business to be successful or let's say to earn a living you know to be able to live so I learned really early luckily in my early 20s that you have to be like an octopus you have to have eight arms and you have to have multiple income streams and you have to be able because at one point or another one thing of your business is going to crash and so you have to have something to fall back on besides some money in the bank and luckily I had that as well so you know man I've been so blessed um, 30 years into this national you know national career that um, you know, all the dreams have come true so many times over, and they're still happening. And but the core of it all is my love for music. I didn't get into this for money. I didn't get into this for girls. I didn't get into it for the glory. I got into it for the love of the music and for the love of rock and roll. You know, I mean, it was like when I was a little kid, I said mm -hmm. to myself. I'm going to be Eddie Van Halen. I'm going to be a mini version of. He was my guy. Van Halen was the band when I started Trickster. I, you know, I first my first concert was Kiss. I saw Kiss. They were my favorite band, Kiss and Van Halen, 1978. I saw Kiss in 79. It was unbelievable, you know, the Dynasty mm -hmm. tour. But it was unreal. Kiss was like superheroes. I didn't even think they were human beings at that point. You know what I mean? Up in the shoes and the light. Yeah. Band. But when I saw Van Halen in 1982 on the Diver Down tour at Madison Square Garden, it was that party atmosphere, fun, everybody having such a great time. And I knew at that moment, I said, I'm starting a band and it's going to be fun like Van Halen. And that's always been my, you know, thing. And, you know, for better or worse, you know, that's kind of how I modeled Trickster. You know, it was always about, you know, kind of, I mean, it was definitely apparent in my, you know, performance and stuff. It's in the videos, yeah, it really showed you guys were laid back and really, yeah. you guys are very relatable in the videos. Yeah, and that's what it was. You know, we wanted to be fun and, you know, and that's what, you know, I think people, people, picked up on with tricksters that we were real and it was honest we weren't wearing you know we were much different than anything that came out at that time but you know it's rooted again like i said it's rooted in the love of music and it's still the same thing you know and i'm working on a record right now for this band that i'm producing and you know i get paid to do this i get paid very well it's not you know i'm not getting paid mutt lang money you know what i mean but i get paid you know a lot good money to make you know produce records and stuff and in my house it's a great thing but the oh, amount yeah. when it's all said and done the amount of hours i put in whether it's my music or somebody else's you know i mixed a couple songs for pj's new record i yeah. spend so much time on that at the end of it when it's all said and done i lose money if you were to put it in an hourly or break it down and if you broke it down hourly i'm working for less than minimum wage and it's not about that because i'm blessed in the sense money is not what drives me I, my house is paid for life is good you know what i mean yeah. i do it because i want the best for it doesn't feel like you have work it feels like you have a lot of stuff to do 
I want to do it because I love it. I love the right. art of it. And that's where the true artist comes out in the sense of where if somebody hires me, and I tell you that I tell everybody right from the beginning, you hire me, uh, you're going to get a thousand percent. You're not going to get a hundred percent. You get a thousand percent out of me. And that's always kind of what I've tried to do. And I think it's served me well in my, in my career and my personal life as well. You uh, borrowed someone named there, Dennis. Dennis Young. And you actually have, my, have got on your album too. Yes, Dennis was uh, gracious enough to play a uh, phenomenal uh, Oberheim OB8 solo on on the new Tokyo Motorfist record, Lions, on Lions. probably one of the best songs that I've ever written in my life and probably the best record I've ever made in my career. So it was an honor. And Dennis, like I told you, Dennis has become such a dear friend over the last five or six years that you know we've been in each other's lives and you know i started out with him in 2015 to help him out when uh august zadger the great august zadger couldn't make a show and dennis and i hit it off and we you know we talk all the time and he's just one of these guys that again you know like ed van halen just such a humble normal fun guy and but a phenomenal musician and was cool enough to say, hey, man, I really like this song. I think it's a great song and I'm going to play a solo on it. And he played, you know, the, the keyboard solo on lines. He played it with his original Oberheim OB-8, the same keyboard that Eddie played Jump on. It was the same one from back in the late 70s that he did used on tour with Sticks. And when we recorded it, Greg Smith and I were over at his house. I was on the Wizards of Winter tour that I did last year, kind of a mini TSO thing. And we went to Dennis's house in Chicago. We had a couple days off. And he, we brought the Oberheim in, and I see the duct tape on it. It's got like, you know, it's got masking tape, and it's got too much time. It's got Snowblind. It's got um, Fooling Yourself. All the presets that he used for the Stick songs live. And he was like showing us. He go, oh, you want to hear that sound? You want to hear the beginning of Too Much Time on My Hands? Bah, 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 bah. There it is. One, and it's a mono keyboard, and it's just the, the most incredible sound. So really, really just, you know, again, one of these things where, like, you know, I still pinch it myself. It sounds really good, too. It really fits well in the song. It really, it, it's, I was actually just listening to it again. And, and actually, and I like the, the song placement. I could say, and then when you go from that song, you go right into uh, Decadence on 10th Street, right? Oh, yeah. The guitar on that. It's ridiculously crazy. I love it. it well, is. it's, you know, a big, a big salute and nod to uh, Ed Van Halen, you know. I mean, that, that's obvious, but that's a fun, that's, that's a fun the tone one. on that, the, the riff. Yeah. It, feels, it feels like you're just, it's like, it's just explosive. It's just, I don't know, it's hopping all the place. It's just, it's fantastic. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's one of my favorite. The whole record, I mean, you know, again, man, the, the, the best part about this is that 30 years of making records, you know, I still, no matter what, when I do sign up and, you know, thanks to Frontiers, our record label, for the opportunity to make these records. You know, we made, I made two great records for Frontiers with Trickster, New Audio Machine, and Human Era. And now we're on our second Tokyo Motor Fist record. And it's, you know, again, at 50 years old to be making and playing and singing the best music of your career um, is, uh, there's something to be said about that. And I'm really, really proud of it. And, um, you know, again, it shows the difference between somebody who's just phoning it in and somebody who truly lives, eats, and breathes music. I, I didn't realize the, all the production work you did, but you know, I started digging into more. I knew, I knew all the guitar stuff you're doing. 
but like listening to the, to the new album, basically, so we're just go for production and we're like literally the same age from 50. I always listen to production and production can ruin. There are some bands that I love that their albums are just so horrible because of the production. Oh, yeah. And, and, it, and it happened a lot during the uh, 80s and 90s, especially. Um, but first thing I listened to, so I'm listening to the production on this on, on the newest Tokyo one. I'm like, it's so good. It has such a good rock sound. The guitars, it's it's balanced, and I'm very critical too, you know. And uh, it's good. It's it's, it's the drums. The drums is the first thing I I'm so picky about drums. The kick, the snare. It just I mean, here and your headphones good, you know. It's uh, yeah. Again, it's uh, it's all encompassing for me. You know, from from the I design the artwork, from the artwork to every aspect of it is. And again, I do it out of love. You know, I'm I'm a little bit of a control freak, and I need to have that. You know, I, I need to have my hands in everything. But it's because I've learned that if you don't control your own situation, somebody's gonna wind up screwing something up, and it's never a pleasant thing. So at least at least if I know that I'm involved and it bombs or something happens where there's a mistake, at least I can go, you know what, it was my fault. I can always man up to that and own up to it. But, you know, the mixing of the Tokyo Motifist record, I got to give big shout out to Bruno Ravel, the great Bruno Ravel from Danger Danger. Him and I mixed the record. He was a, you know, the mix engineer and came up with, you know, this this unbelievable low end to really give the great support to my, to you know, mine and Ted's vocals and the guitars and Greg Smith on bass. So, you know, Ted Poley on vocals, Greg Smith on bass and the great Chuck Berge on drums. You know, it's just a phenomenal band. And, you know, the really cool thing about Tokyo Mortifist is that unlike a lot of these frontiers super groups that they put together these projects it's a re- tokyo tmf is a real band you know it's a real brotherhood we all grew up together you know and and we all get along great and you know chuck lives you know one town over from me he's eight miles away from me here in northern new jersey um ted is you know just down the road about an hour and a half in pennsylvania as well as greg smith so we're all close to each other and we're one of the few bands of all these you know super groups that actually play gigs i was gonna know, ask you if you played it at all I, yeah. I, it sounds really good i mean ted sounds phenomenal too not that he's bad but you know what I'm saying? as you get older it gets hard to be a singer you know and i was just saying this the other day you know the vocals the vocals are like those like damn i really shouldn't read that wrote, wrote, the lyric was so high the key in the song because everyone's tuning down if only i'd known when i was so young and i could sing I, everyone's tuning down but yeah ted sounds spot on see you know he's great man and and again you know when we the way we make the records you know where we record here at my house and you know some of the guys do some of their stuff you know some of the things at their their house and stuff but ted comes here and i really coach him you know vocal production is definitely one of my you know strongest suits you know as far as that to me that's always been such a strong um uh part of my production work is focusing first and foremost on the vocal because in my opinion if the vocal's not good no matter how good the song is it's never going to get the attention it deserves so you really always have to focus on the vocals yes how how did you get affiliated with being the the last minute guy i mean with def leppard like jumping at the last minute to learn that many songs i'm assuming by now you know you have, all, you have all the songs down, probably. So like, if it happens, oh, like, I'm, yeah. not gonna, I'm not going through that again. I don't have the nerves for it. I just learned them all, so now I just know and I'm ready. But like, well, how did you end up the first time to hop into that in a, in a clinch situation like that? I mean, that's 
Well, it it goes back, you know, I've known the Def Leppard guys and the organization for 30 plus years. You know, I met them, Phil and Joe. The first time I met them was like 87 on the first go round of the Hysteria tour. I think when Tesla was opening up. I mean, that's how yep. long I've known the Tesla guys as well. Um, Phil Collin and I became immediate friends back in, you know, 87, 88. And he's been like a godfather to me, big brother. He's more British brother, you know, and he's been such a supporter of me with all of my post trickster projects, uh, most notably 40 foot Ringo, where uh, Joe and him were huge fans of my, you know, the band 40 foot Ringo that I had with PJ. And we were supposed to open uh, one of the Def Leppard tours. I believe it was the 2001 tour that they did, which I think was the X tour. And it didn't work out because there wasn't, we didn't have enough, we didn't have tour support and there wasn't enough money. So it didn't work out. But Joe and Phil, and Phil especially, always loved the sound of my voice, the raspy, you know, you know, sort of thing that I would do, you know. And, and so what happened was, is uh, when Vivian got diagnosed with cancer in 2013, Phil was like, I got the guy, you know, and he told the guy, you know, he told Joe and, you know, the other guy, Steve, you know, and I've known them for, you know, 25, 30 years. And they were yep. like, all right. So, um, but it was interesting when Phil and I in 2012 is what really kind of sealed the deal. Phil and I were on the Mike Huckabee show on Fox News. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, but. We did this thing where, you know, Mike had a show on, on Fox and he would play bass. He's a bass player. So he brought Phil on to talk about Phil was really, you know, promoting health and wellness and sort of kind of demystifying the rock star personality yeah. of, you know, the booze and the, you know, drugs and wild and eating junk food. And Phil was a health nut, you know, as I am as well, you know, and being healthy and working out and being in great shape and being the best you could possibly be. So... We did the show. Phil calls me up and says, Steve, would you want to do this with me? I need backing. We're going to do kind of a weird, a different version of pour some sugar on me. So I'm like, of course, man, whatever you need. So I went in and did the show and I was singing along with Phil doing all the pour some sugar on me, you know that. And Phil called me, you know, after he saw the broadcast and he's like, he's like, I couldn't believe how great our voices blended together. And that was for him. I think the moment where he said, Click. if there's ever something, if there's ever a problem with Vivian, Steve's the perfect guy. And it was like a year later, a little less than a year later is when he called me and said, this is what's going on and we need you. And that's, you know, 2013 is when, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the Def Leppard journey began for me as being there, you know, kind of, you know, secret weapon and somebody to step in at the, at a moment's notice to save the day, if you will. I think they need to do like uh, Iron Maiden and just have three guitar players and always have you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's been you know there was talked about, but I I know I seriously I think it's great. I think how I mean how cool is it? like clearly like you're the same age like Def Leppard, Eddie Van Halen, like everything is a child that you've could have possibly thought of you probably couldn't even think of this as a child if someone told no. you like get out of here there's no way it's, it's just no. it's insane it's, yeah it really is and it's it never gets lost on me and i say this all the time i truly am one of the luckiest luckiest guys in the world you know all of my rock star and, and rock star experiences and whether it's you know gene and paul from kiss you know dennis de young def leppard the van halen stories i mean that's a movie and book in itself and you know i'm probably i, I i'm a ways away but at some point i'm definitely going to do some sort of documentary book thing and 
really document that because the, some of the stories are just mind blowing, you know. And again, like I said, the Eddie Van Halen stories alone, I could write a, I could write two books on the the things that I've done with him, and you know, to be, you know, to be in a room and you know, to be friends with somebody and you're close enough with them to where you know they call your house phone and you sit there at two o'clock in the morning. Oh shit, you know, Ed Van Halen's calling, and you know, talk. You sit there and I'm sitting in my pajamas. He's in his hotel room, and we're just talking about life. You know, talking about our families and, you know, it's just, it's mind blowing. But there are so many of those, you know, meeting David Lee Roth when we were making the first Trickster record, um, jumping on stage with Van Halen in 1988 at the at Madison Square Garden. You know, it never ends. It's really, you know, again, it's a rock and roll fantasy. So that's that the same place you saw them like six years later? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was that's just insane. That's actually yeah. such a short period of time. And that, well, that one, you know, I've documented, you know, I've told that in numerous interviews and you could see the YouTube clip of that. That's all over the place. And what was really great about that story was the ending of it was in 91 when I first met Ed and we hit it off and became friends. So a couple months, you know, I sent Ed a gold record when Trickster went gold and I wrote him a really nice letter and basically the end of it said, you know, without you and your music, I would have never been who I am and I never would have had this success without you. And I sent him a gold record and a couple months later I was at, you know, one of the shows with him and I'm backstage, me and him in his tuning room. And he, you know, gave me a big hug and a kiss. And he goes, man, I just wanted to tell you. He goes, man, thanks for the gold record. That was cool. He goes, but what you wrote meant more to me than anything. And that just goes to show you again the the, 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 the heart and soul that he was. Such a warm guy and appreciative. And for me, it was just being honest, you know, and telling him exactly what it was. Because without him, I would be nothing, you know. And um, so getting back to the garden story... So we're backstage, Ed's warming up, then Sammy comes in, and it's the three of us, and, you know, and Sam Sam goes, oh, man, I know you, and blah, blah, yeah, Trickster, blah, 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 and Ed goes, yeah, man, he goes, but do you, don't you remember him from three years ago at the, on the OU812 tour? He's the kid who jumped up on stage and started playing my guitar, and Sammy looks at me and smiles, he goes, he goes, oh, bun of a sitch, you know, because that was their thing, that they would do yeah. that. You know, instead of son of a bitch, bun of a sitch. And he goes, bun of a sitch. He goes, that was you? And, you know, here I am, you know, a couple years later, number one on MTV, hanging out in, you know, Van Halen's dressing room. And, you know, so it was really cool. We we got a good laugh about that, you know, many years later. That's it's so unbelievable, the stories, the, the luck you've had. And, it's not, I mean, it, it, you have talent, so it's not like you didn't get there by whatever, you know, by not having a talent. With the luck that everything kind of fell into the place too, it's, you know, serendipity. It's, it's a little it's, both. It is, man. Well, you know, God has a great way of making things happen, and you know, I I truly believe that I was put on this earth to do all of this and to be able to tell this. You know, again, like I said, man, a lot of people, you know, they they like to make music and play live, but they don't like doing interviews or they don't like making videos. They, I love every aspect of it, even the boring stuff. When I got to do my taxes for my, you know, Brownstone Music, my company, you know, even that I still go, you know what, man, I'm lucky enough to have a, you know, corp, a music taxes, corporation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I get I get corporate benefits, you know, when I go get gas and use my brownstone music card, I say to the guy, I need a receipt because I'm writing this off. Uncle Sam, <laughs> Uncle Sam's going to grant me a write off on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a madman. So during, so you, you, you have been busy and you're doing production. So can people out to you? 
for production? Yeah, you know, of course, man. Send me an email. You know, you, you go on my Instagram or you can find me. My you email. have on your website too. On your website, you have a, a link. Yeah. I will yeah. an email for that too. So I, I guess do... you're accepting people. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's limited and you know, it's, it's gotta be, ultimately I have to believe in the project. I don't, I don't take on anything that I don't think. Right. But I mean, I mean, you say like a doctor, you're taking on patients. You are, you are open to, you know, yeah, yeah, of course, man. I give, I give Skype less guitar lessons, songwriting, whatever, man, whatever it is I do. I do like VIP, like instead of doing an interview, a fan will, you know, contact me. Hey man, can I talk to you for a half hour? I do stuff like that. So again, but it's all part of being a mm-hmm. professional musician. And luckily I like all of this, you know, well, so you consider guess. yourself lucky. <laughs> I do consider myself lucky about this or what? Just in general. Yeah. Well, always. Yeah. Yes. But I'm talking about that. We're doing this interview because I actually, oh. like to, I, I like to do these things. Well, I do. I consider myself lucky. I like to do too lucky. It works I, out can well. I can tell, dude. I love it, man. You're the, well, the, I just wanted to say that the whole production point, because that's one of the big things of the show is so people know, reach out to the artists right now during COVID, they're doing other stuff. So I want people to be aware that they can, that you're doing all this stuff too. I don't think a lot of people know hey. that, you know? Yeah. So well. that, that's, that's one thing. I mean, I know some artists need it more than others and clearly you're doing pretty good. What about work coming out? As I mentioned this before with Eric, are you guys going to do an album with Eric? You know, we, we've talked about it. You'd have to ask Eric, uh, PJ and I and Joey. I'm going to track him down at some point because the chemistry behind you guys, yes. I think would be fantastic for an album. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a tidbit of information. So we, January of 2019, PJ and I were on a mission that we were going to get Eric to do a record with us. And he sort of, said, nah, let me hear what you got. The first two things that I wrote that were supposed to be for Eric Martin, Trickster, you know, Steve mm-hmm. P.J., Joey, Eric, were Youngblood and Decadence on 10th Street. No. Oh. Which wound up going to Tokyo Motor Fist because Eric right. basically didn't show. He basically said nah, he had a bunch of other things going on. So, And I was like, all right. And once I finished Youngblood, I'm like, I have the new Tokyo Mortifice record right here. And that was it. So those are the first two songs that I wrote for Lions for the Tokyo Mortifice record. But they were actually supposed to be for whatever this Eric Martin, Martin. Steve Brown, PJ. It's, it'll was. happen. It's got to happen. I hope so. I, think it, I hope so, too. What we, is we, we bust Eric's balls enough about it. So hopefully it will. Hopefully he'll just do it to shut us up. To shut you guys up? I'll give him a hard time when I track him down at some point. Yeah. What is he, what's uh, Pete doing from Trickster? Is he, when you, you guys, cause you guys are so busy. What does he do in his downtime? I don't really know, man. He's, you know, he's working a day gig. You know, I think he's in the car business or something. I, honestly, man, I really don't know. You know, we kind of, you know, when he kind of stepped away from the Trickster thing in 2017, let's just say it wasn't the most pleasant of, uh, of um, situations. He had to get, he had to get away for personal reasons and family reasons. And, you know, part of the family was this family, the Trickster family. It was a little too much for him to uh to deal with and you know there's no bad blood there we're all cool and um but i don't i don't know i don't know what he's doing you know we text each other for you know goofy you know jokes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but we don't talk about anything other than you know how you doing how's your family you know merry christmas hope you're well like the outside just seemed like obviously there's an issue with the, the the drumming issue 
the drummer. But I figured just Pete kind of just bowed out because like a lot said, a lot of people just like you know what, family, take a time. Yeah, pictures kind of in the back burner. I figured that's kind of with that situation. Kind of, yeah, you know, could do something else for a while. Take a break, you know. That's not me. It's not for that's me it. to answer, but you know, no, but I didn't know. I, I didn't know. That's didn't, I wasn't trying to go there. I just meant like, yeah, he's with his family because he's enjoying. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, more of an antidote, more of a a chilling thing. That wasn't looking for any dirt. Um. Yeah. So Tokyo, I mean, you have one out now. What are you going to try promoting it once the pandemic's over? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly, I mean, we had a couple dates booked, some festivals, and we were actually negotiating with um, some of the Japanese promoters to go do a Japanese tour, which would have been, you know, kind of the cherry on top of this whole thing, because we'd come back with the t-shirt, Tokyo Motor Fist, live in Tokyo. Tokyo. Oh, that's so, um, but yeah, the, everything's on hold right now, you know, probably 2022. I mean, I, I foresee my... Uh, vision for 2021 is there's going to be a minimal amount of things you know um, I've done some shows with my 80s band that I play in this band Rubik's Cube that PJ and I are in and you know we've done some socially distant things but I don't see any of the big rock shows coming back there's going to be smaller events that I might be part of you know I know Eric and PJ are going out and doing some acoustic shows um, but the bigger kids the harder it's got to be I mean I know I'm sitting on tickets for a stadium tour for it's gonna be I don't know I'll be an old man you know I'm gonna get a wheelchair pass or something by the time yeah man goes. I could tell you yeah. something I know uh, nothing no 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 I don't expect you no one knows no one literally knows except for Live Nation because they're sitting on all the money yeah everyone else just doesn't know but I'm saying yeah I, something big like that's gonna be the last one in because how do you control a crowd everyone's gotta be safe but you can do smaller things you can you can break up a club a little bit you can you can start to kind of maneuver it there's protocols you can do other bands are going out doing it. You can't do a stadium. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, look, from what I know and certain guys I'm not, that'll remain nameless, big rock stars have said, I have no interest in playing an arena with 10% of the people there. You know, I, you know, they open up Madison Square Garden for like basketball games, you know, you can go see the Knicks play, but they are, they're only allowing a thousand people in. I don't think Billy Joel's going to play the garden to a thousand no. people. But basketball energy, but it's not the same as it's a performance. It's also a game. Like you can play basketball by yourself and it still counts as a game. Yeah. When you play yourself with a band, it's band practice. It's not actually a show. <laughs> there is a slight difference. No, I know. I know. So yeah, I mean, look, man, Why would you I want to have a stadium and only have, 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 have a partial crowd. That's not, a, that's not the goal yeah. of a stadium. A stadium is, is the biggest thing you can do as a band. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for the fans, you know, I think sadly there's a lot of false hope out there and, um, but it's not my place to answer. All I can say is my opinion on it, and I just for, I don't foresee that by the summertime even, yeah. or or any time in the next eight months that you're going to see twenty thousand people or fifty thousand people in an arena or a stadium to see a rock show or any anything for that matter. So listen to Fauci. Fauci says the same thing. So yeah, twenty twenty two is before things are going to start getting more normal. And I believe so. You know, so whatever. And you know, for the key is is just to stay positive and. You know, be for the fans. The key is is to stay engaged with the bands that you love and help, especially the smaller 
bands, buy some merchandise, buy the CDs. You know, I got a, I got a, you know, online shirt store for Trickster and some of my own stuff. And you know, the yeah, fans. Send me your links. All your yeah, it's all, it's all up there, man. But you know, that's the key of it all. You know, and um, if they're, if you're lucky enough wherever you live to have a show come in your area, whether it's, you know. Uh, Trickster and Eric Martin, or Eric Martin and PJ Farley, go see it. If it's Striper, if it's uh, you know Tesla, anybody who you know can do something that's you know with these shows that are put on that are that, that are socially distant and to the CDC guidelines, go see it, go support it. You know you're probably not going to be able to stand up and go crazy and sing, you know, but you you go and you 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 support your bands like like fans. I've always done, you know, you support the bands that you love, no matter through thick and thin. That's my attitude. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I mean, that's why I did the show. That's what it's all about. So, yeah, you know, bringing notice to you guys and putting all your stuff up. That's why I do it. So I put all, all your links will go underneath the, on YouTube and eventually it goes up on podcast too. I'm a little behind on that. All the links will go right underneath this for all your stuff. Yeah, man. Like, that's what, add, I, I appreciate stuff, it. I appreciate it for sure. Well, it's been awesome, man. Um, hopefully, you'll come back again when you got some some other stuff to promote. You know, you can reach out. Let me know. And oh, without a doubt. And it was a you know pleasure talking to you. And I'm I'm sorry for my uh, daughter crashing the party, but yeah, oh, there's no real control. life. It's yeah. awesome. I think I think it's great. It is, man. So all the best to you, everybody. All your all your viewers and listeners. This is Steve Brown reporting from the Mojo Vegas Recording Company, a.k.a. 6160. You know, Ed Van Halen at 5150. I got 6160. And uh, so all is good, everybody. Wear your mask, do your thing, get your vaccines. And, uh, you know, let's pray and and hope that uh, we get back to, you know, a new normal because it's never going to be like it was um, it's go, it's all going to be new, but I believe in my heart of hearts that we are all going to be better for have gone, you know, going through this. Everything's going to turn out better than we could ever imagine. In three Maybe months, after, everyone's going to forget all about what happened and just going to be rude again. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but let's, uh, let's, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, the time when everybody just things, everybody's healthy and this virus is under control and we're at an outdoor festival where there's a hundred thousand people, everybody going nuts for rock and roll. And I'm jumping around playing my, you know, Van Halen guitars and going nuts and, you know, everybody's smiling and it gives you that feeling like, you know, we all got back in like 1984, if you know what I mean. I do. That's awesome.